Hi, my name is Sabrina, and I'm a perfectionist. It has been 9 hours and 23 minutes since my last need to be perfect. I grew up in a house that valued academics and performing well in school. I also grew up in a house with someone who had a problem with alcohol. So it's natural that I'm a perfectionist. Are you a perfectionist too? Welcome to episode 21. You might be a perfectionist if, and what you can do about it. You might be a perfectionist if you set high goals and accept nothing less than perfection. You might be a perfectionist if almost perfect is failure. You might be a perfectionist if you hone in on imperfections and have trouble seeing anything else. You might be a perfectionist if you are afraid of not reaching your goals and anything less than the goal you set is failure. You might be a perfectionist if you set unrealistic goals. You might be a perfectionist if you procrastinate. You might be a perfectionist if you would rather not try something than to try it and possibly fail. Perfectionists often put off doing something, worrying about getting it just right, that they become immobilized and fail to do anything at all. Perfectionism ran deeply in my veins for more years than I can recall. Looking back on it, it now makes complete sense. I grew up in a home that valued intelligence and academic performance. So each time I learned something new and did well with it, I was heavily praised. And each time I learned a new word, learned to write, learned a new math problem, read a book, I was praised. And I loved this praise. I loved the attention I got from doing well. So naturally, I wanted to do more of that to get more praise. I read more books. I wrote more stories. I learned and practiced more and more math problems. Each time I got an A in class, my mom and teachers would dote on me about how smart I was. All this effort and praise reinforced my need to be perfect. I was worthy. It was good enough if I performed well. I wasn't allowed, by my own doing, to be anything less than an 85%. Oddly enough, I didn't have to be the best in class. There was a time maybe when I wanted to be the best, but... I also remember not wanting that much attention or pressure. I found I was most comfortable being third or fourth in class. That took off some of the negative attention from peers and still got me the praise from my parents and teachers. The education system was reinforcing my need to be perfect and did so all through undergrad. But it's not where my perfectionism began. That came a lot earlier. In fact, I think I was born with it in my blood. You see, my mom was a perfectionist, and I believe my dad had some perfectionism too. And while I don't think there is a true perfectionism gene, I do believe that these things are ingrained so deeply into someone that they pass it on to their children. Then we have the nurture component of watching my parents be high achievers, set unrealistic goals, and get down on themselves when it didn't work out. And they weren't good enough. So not only did I have it in my blood, I was raised with it. And like school, I was constantly praised for being a quote-unquote good girl. Which reminds me, I want to do a separate episode on the good girl syndrome. But not now, so stay tuned for that. My mom taught second grade for most of my childhood, so I grew up hearing about some of her students. 
the good ones and the naughty ones. And at a very early age, I picked up on what was good and what was not good. Early on, even when we don't understand the words that our parents are speaking to us, we can pick up on their language. We pick up on the tone of their voice, the body language while they talk. And I quickly learned that to be liked, I needed to be one of the good girls. This meant I listened, I followed directions, and I didn't make a scene. Mom says I was a fairly easy baby and child, and I probably was. Part of that is my personality. Those parts also got strongly reinforced and grew and grew and grew. This is in part thanks to dopamine and operant conditioning. Now let's take a little detour and go to Psych 101 for a few minutes. Operant conditioning is a method of learning that employs rewards and punishments for our behavior. Our brain makes an association between the behavior and the consequences, either positive or negative. So when we're punished, we learned not to do something. Or at least that's what we as parents and pet owners hope happens. We use punishments to decrease a behavior. An example of this would be Anthony, my son, is playing loudly on his computer while I'm in session or recording this episode. Because we don't want that behavior to continue, he loses computer access for a while. This is also what would be considered a negative punishment. We are removing something to decrease the behavior. This negative punishment can also be seen when we put kids in timeouts or any other time we remove something in an effort to decrease the behavior we don't want. Positive punishment occurs when we add something to decrease the behavior we don't want. So if you were ever made to do extra chores as a punishment, this would be positive punishment. Or spanking would also be considered positive punishment because something we don't want is being added to decrease the behavior. Now, I don't condone spanking, but I do share this example to help you understand that the words positive and negative aren't implying moral value when it comes to punishment. Positive means we're just adding something to decrease the behavior, and negative means we're taking away something to decrease the behavior. It's not a moral judgment. It do- positive doesn't mean good and negative doesn't mean bad or undesirable or anything like that. It just means that if we have positive punishment, we are adding in something to decrease something that we don't want. And if we have negative punishment, we're taking something away to decrease the behavior that we don't want. Now on to rewards. When we reward something, we're reinforcing the behavior. We're rewarding the behavior that we do want in hopes that it continues. Rewards can be positive or negative too. A negative reward would be removing something to increase the behavior we want. If I eat when I'm stressed and feel more relaxed, I'm removing the feeling of stress and thus reinforcing the behavior of eating. And thanks to dopamine, I'm going to make a hard and fast association that food helps me relax. Positive rewards are what we typically think about when we think of rewards. I study, get a good grade, my mom rewards me with praise. When you go to work and they pay you at the end of the week or whenever you get paid, that paycheck is a positive reward. And again, dopamine is going to strengthen this association. 
After repeated rewards and that pleasant feeling, our brain knows to expect a reward when we do something quote-unquote good. Each time I was praised for being a good girl. Each time I was praised for getting good grades. Each time I was praised for losing weight or positive comments were made about my body. Each and every time, this strengthened my need to be perfect. And after 30 or so years of this, you can see how difficult it would be to not be a perfectionist, right? I was afraid to fail. If I failed, it meant I wasn't perfect. All that praise, which meant that I was worthy, that I was good enough, all that praise would go away, and I would no longer be good enough. In fact, I wasn't just afraid to fail. I was terrified. I was terrified of not being smart enough not being thin enough, not being pretty enough, not being liked enough, and I would do almost anything to avoid failing. Sometimes that meant spending hours studying. Sometimes that meant putting off projects until the night before they were due. How can those two opposite things mean the same thing? Well, there were times when I'd study and it would seem easy, so I'd keep studying until I knew the material inside and out. I also learned pretty quickly how to take tests and what each teacher was looking for in their projects and papers, and I'd tailor my stuff to them. Then there were times when the material seemed really difficult, or it just wasn't something I was interested in, or it was a big portion of a grade and thus really scary if I failed at it. So I'd put it off, thinking, well, if I don't do it, I can't be judged on my performance. If I fail the class, it's not because I wasn't smart enough or good enough. It's just because I didn't do this assignment. I see this as an adult, too. How many years have I put off creating an online course because I didn't have all the information? Or I expected my material to be perfect and polished, and that of someone who'd been teaching this and running this program, like this particular program, for years. Rather than attempting it and possibly failing, meaning no one registered or people registered and I let them down, I just didn't do it. Or I'd create the content and the systems and then not tell anyone about it. Ooh, another way perfectionism has shown up as an adult for me is in finding all the flaws. I'm thanking the education system for this one too. We are trained to see problems over and over and over again. And so I'd find my flaws. Flaws in my looks. Flaws in my eating habits. Flaws in my personality. It would be bad enough if I just personalized this, but no. I found flaws everywhere. And I couldn't just see them and be okay. I'd see the flaw, and then I'd hyperfixate on it. Grammar or spelling mistakes in the books I read. People mispronouncing words. Drivers not following traffic rules. You name it, I could find a flaw in it. Saying this now, I sound like a complete bitch. But no one knew what was going on in my head. Because to share that out loud would have changed how people viewed me. And I would no longer fit the nice good girl. So I kept all of those thoughts to myself. And continued to hold myself and others to standards that were way out of reach. Now, thank the very godmother, I'm not there anymore. Instead of considering myself a perfectionist, I now say I'm a recovering perfectionist. What does that mean, and why do I say I'm in recovery? 
I'm so glad you asked this, Sabrina. I say in recovery because I've done the work to shift from a perfectionist to a high achiever, and I probably will always have high standards. There's no longer the need to be perfect. I have room to experience a range of thoughts and emotions, and know they don't define me or my value. I no longer fear failure. And most of the time, I try to take the bull by the horns and get things done, rather than worrying about them being perfect. Now all that said, sometimes my brain, Bertha, gets activated and begins to freak out that if things aren't perfect, it somehow reflects on us. I acknowledge that and accept that. It's natural given the world you and I live in. Society places a lot of emphasis on productivity, thinness, and beauty. And so unless you live under a rock, high up in a secluded tower, or completely off the grid, you're going to be subjected to these messages. I have an intentional thought that I continue to practice. I even have it on a letterboard in my office as a reminder, just in case the perfectionism little gremlin creeps in and I need a visual reminder. It doesn't have to be perfect. Done is better than undone. And if I wait to be perfect, if I wait to have the perfect message or the perfect course, if I wait to air these episodes until they are perfect and I am perfect and there are no flaws at all. If I wait, you miss out. I miss out on sharing this message and you miss out on hearing it. I spent far too much time and effort trying to be perfect in hopes that I would fit in and people would like and accept me. And it wasn't until a dear friend in grad school shared with me how intimidating I was before she knew me because I look like I have it all together, that I have it all figured out. And I laugh at that because that couldn't be further from the truth. I have a lot of shit figured out, true, but not all of it. Why do I have it all together? My kitchen counters are always filled with stuff, dirty dishes, and Emrys always has at least five toys strewn across the floor. And let's not even get started on Anthony's room. So what do we do with his perfectionism? How do we start to get ourselves into recovery? The first step is just to acknowledge that it's there and that it's completely natural that you think and feel this way. Give yourself some grace and some compassion. Call a truce with your brain and get on the same team. Create a thought ladder and practice intentional thoughts, working up the ladder until you get where you want to be. Remember to start where you're at. If the thought, it doesn't have to be perfect, I don't have to be perfect, seems too far-fetched, that's okay. Dial it back some. Maybe something like, it's possible my worth isn't tied to my performance, feels a little bit more within reach. Or maybe something more like, Sabrina says it's not my fault I'm a perfectionist. Wherever you are, start there and slowly work your way up the thought ladder. It's also helpful to look at times you didn't live up to your expectations and spend some time thinking about those experiences. What did you learn? What did you learn about yourself? Was there anything you could have done differently? Were you doing the best you could at the time? I bet you were. Because... If you could have done better, you would have. But in that moment, you were doing the best that you could 
with what you knew and what you had. Also, notice when you're comparing yourself to others. Notice with curiosity, not judgment. By putting on your curiosity glasses, you can look at where this comparison is coming from rather than beating yourself up for not being where someone else is. This perfectionism shows up so much in the women that I work with. In fact, this and mindset is a key component of the work I do with all the women I work with. If you'd like to dive deeper into your perfectionism and how this impacts your body image and your relationship with food, I'm opening a waitlist for the next round of Healthily Ever After, my five-month coaching program that will take you from feeling like a failure, emotionally overeating, and hating your body, to looking and feeling like you have your shit together, eating intuitively, and body acceptance. The link for more information is in the show notes. And if you have any questions, just send me an email. Before I say goodbye, I'm curious. How has perfectionism shown up in your life? Send me an email and let me know. Or you can always message me on Instagram. I hope this episode has shed some light on how perfectionism can show up, how it begins, and how it's strengthened. And what you can start doing about it today. In the next episode, I'm joined by one of my favorite people, my friend Kirsty. She's sharing her journey with chronic illness, meditation, and how breathwork changed her life. I hope you'll join us. Until then, be well, my friend.